Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. First, a look at this week's news. China's largest ride-hailing platform, Didi Chuxing, said it will resume late-night ride-hailing services after upgrading its safety measures. The company had been under fire after a female passenger was murdered by her driver in August, the second such incident within months. In an attempt to repair its reputation, Didi took steps to improve passenger safety, including installing in-car audio recording functions, rechecking drivers' backgrounds, and suspending its ride-hailing services from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. Many would-be riders complained, however, about the difficulty of getting rides in Didi's absence and about late-night price hikes, among other taxi-type services, available at night. Up until recently, the future looked bright for Fan Bingbing. As one of China's biggest movie stars, she had featured in Hollywood blockbusters as well as local films, with numerous other projects in the pipeline. Then, in June, she was caught up in a scandal about movie stars underreporting their earnings, resulting in Chinese tax authorities investigating the industry, including Fan, for possible evasion. The 36-year-old actress, who has 63 million followers on Weibo, has since vanished from public view. No more social media updates, no more paparazzi photos, and no more public appearances. Fan's disappearance is a reminder of the perils of show business in the most regulated major entertainment market in the world, where the Communist Party of China weighs in on everything from the appropriateness of costumes to the salaries of movie stars. The episode is also prompting Chinese studios to wean off a reliance on A-list stars to drive big hits, a shift Hollywood made years ago. China's revised tax code has made it easier to levy taxes on foreign employees' offshore income, raising concerns that the country's tax system will become even less attractive to foreign talent. Foreigners who have a residence or reside on the Chinese mainland for more than 183 days per calendar year will be classified as resident taxpayers subject to Chinese tax on their worldwide income. Those residing on the Chinese mainland for fewer than 183 days a year will be considered non-resident taxpayers 
liable for tax only on their onshore income. That means the Chinese mainland will shorten the length of residence used to separate resident taxpayers and non-resident taxpayers to 183 days, the same limit used by countries such as the U.S. and the U.K. from the current 365. Such a change will have an impact on the introduction of foreign talent and intellectuals who have a stint in China for a half year to one year, thus reducing the competitiveness of the country's taxation system. Researchers said. After watching Hong Kong stocks follow their mainland counterparts fall into bear market territory amid some of the weakest turnover in years, investors might be forgiven for wondering if the stocks are about to bottom out. But analysts see no signs that the stocks are anywhere near a turnabout. Last week, the benchmark Shanghai Composite Index fell close to levels seen after its meltdown in mid 2015, when it lost five trillion U.S. dollars in market capitalization. Sluggish trading activity stemming from tight liquidity in the market under a national deleveraging campaign also doesn't show signs of picking up. A continued decline in trading activity usually is an indicator that investors are fleeing the market. Analysts and traders said it shows a rising awareness of risk aversion on mainland stocks, and it's hard to see an end to such cautiousness in the near term. The operator of Alipay, one of China's two dominant mobile payment apps, has announced it will spend 150 million dollars over the next three years to speed up the development of mini apps. Ant Financial revealed its investment plan while announcing the launch of a new unit dedicated to mini apps, an emerging area that has also attracted the interest of China's technology companies and smartphone makers. Mini apps or mini programs. Refer to apps within an app. It rids users of the hassle of downloading a myriad of standalone apps, and instead allows them access to services such as ride-hailing, takeout delivery, and travel bookings through one key app. That app is usually something already popular, such as WeChat, Baidu, or Alipay. WeChat was the first in the industry to launch mini apps in January 2017. In July, its parent company Tencent claimed over one million mini apps had been made available on WeChat. WeChat has said that the goal of its mini programs isn't to replace standalone apps, but some observers say the trend is a force to be reckoned with, thanks to its wild popularity, and that it could cut into some of the business of major smartphone app distributors such as Apple App Store. The companies that allow mini apps to operate on their platform take a cut of the revenue from each transaction. Caixin reported in July that standalone apps are losing out to their own WeChat mini apps. The monthly active users of China's largest movie ticketing platform, Maoyan, was 42 million in June for its mini app, compared to 4 million for its standalone app. China has scrapped several family planning departments, fueling speculation that the country may be on the verge of ending its decades-old restrictions on family size. The National Health Commission is replacing three offices that had family planning in their names with a new population monitoring and family development office. Chinese social media users immediately began predicting that the changes were a sign the government will abolish its existing two-child limit for married couples, and even switch soon to a policy of promoting multiple births. China has had restrictions on family size in place for nearly four decades. From 1979 to 2015, each couple was allowed to have only one child, with some exemptions. 
In 2016, Beijing expanded the quota to two children, responding to fears that the one-child policy was causing China's population to age too quickly. Policymakers have previously said that it had no plans to further ease family planning policies, but Sunday's announcement is the latest of mounting signals that change is coming. Two-thirds of American businesses in China are feeling a pinch from tit-for-tat protective tariffs in the U.S.-China trade war, with many saying things will worsen if the U.S. follows through on threats to levy even more tariffs, according to a new survey. At the same time, the trade war is also being felt at the Chinese operations of European companies, around half of which view the tariffs negatively, according to the results of a separate survey released by the European Union Chamber of Commerce in China. The downbeat views reflect a growing tide of negative sentiment from both American and European businesses toward the trade war instigated by U.S. President Donald Trump, who accuses China of unfair trade practices and intellectual property theft. Other victims of the friction have been the stock markets both on the Chinese mainland and in Hong Kong, which are all now in bear territory after Hong Kong's main index fell more than 20% from its most recent peak earlier this week. Some American companies in China are getting hit by a double whammy from higher costs to import tariff-targeted goods and similarly higher costs for Chinese imports to their main U.S. operations, said the chief of China operations at a major U.S. equipment manufacturer. China is investigating a former top lottery official on allegations of corruption, the third misconduct case involving a lottery thief in just over a year, and the fifth such case to target an official in lottery corruption in two years. The country has long struggled to contain corruption in its lottery system. A 2015 audit by the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences found that 2.5 billion U.S. dollars in lottery funds handled between 2012 and 2014 had been misappropriated. Proceeds from the lotteries are intended to flow into charitable funds, but the money had been used for other purposes, including property purchases and officials' expense claims, the audit found. Despite the state-run lottery's troubles, sales have continued to rise. September lottery sales were up 15% year-on-year. Thanks, Ada. Let's turn now to some of Caixin Global's reporters and editors for a closer look at some of the stories in the news this week. First up is Caixin Global... First up is Caixin Global reporter David Kirton. David, the story you want to chat about this week was something I hadn't really been following at all about petrochemical plants and plastics. Can you, can you give us the basic gist of what's happening here first? Um, yeah. Three major international petrochemical companies over the last two months have announced plans to build big plants in China um, after years of relative underinvestment. There's just been this flurry all of a sudden. And so what do we think explains the sudden burst of interest in, in petrochemical? Yeah, well, it's it's partly related to the Chinese government's drive to move the economy towards higher-end manufacturing. Um, and the Chinese government traditionally has relied on its own um, state-owned petrochemical plants to or companies to um, build and you know, plan for the uh, future of the economy. What's happened here is, though, is that the state sector tend, has its hands full upgrading its current plants to meet new environmental standards. And so uh, the government has essentially given the go-ahead for the private sector to come in and take the lead on this. Now, the Guangdong government in particular sees uh, private sector 
building these plants within China as a great way to encourage other future growth as companies that work with plastics, which is what these petrochemical plants will be mainly using, will be centered around and clustered around places that already have the great infrastructure that China's built up over the last few decades. Well, thanks for talking to us, and we'll speak to you again soon, I hope. Cheers. Next up is Doug Young, Managing Editor of Tyson Global. Uh, this week, we're shoehorning two stories into one, uh, two IPOs from two very different companies. Uh, who are these two companies, and how big are their IPOs? We're looking at two IPOs. One of them was in Hong Kong. Actually, it hasn't happened yet. One is about to happen. It'll it'll start later this week, and that's for a company called Meituan Danping. They provide stuff like takeout, delivery, and group buying, sort of like a Groupon kind of company. And then the second company is a company called Neo, which actually did start trading in New York last week. Uh, and they are this homegrown Chinese company that makes electric vehicles. And they've said they want to be like the Tesla of China. So, Doug, before we get into the specifics, let's talk about why it is that we're putting both of these into the same story. Yeah, these are two of the biggest IPOs that are coming out of China this year. And, and uh, one one is for a billion dollars. The other one... It looks like it's going to be around $4.23 billion. Basically, we've been getting a lot of bad news coming out of IPOs lately, but uh, these two had sort of unexpected developments that both indicated that maybe sentiment is starting to turn a little bit more positive towards these Chinese IPOs. Great. Well, let's start with the first company, uh, the smaller of the two, NIO, spelled N-I-O. Sort of typical of the the negative sentiment that was out there for a while. They they started out wanting to raise about two billion dollars from this IPO in New York. Again, they were talking about you know being the Tesla of of China and so forth. They ended up having to cut that to about one billion dollars in the end, just because there was no well, not no demand, but there was not that much demand. And in the end, there ended up being something like ten big investors ended up buying ninety percent of the IPO shares, which indicates there's not a lot of demand from sort of just ordinary small investors. So it just wasn't doing very well. It wasn't looking very good. And then on their first trading day, uh, the stock actually opened down around 15%. So and this is sort of what everyone was thinking. But then the stock came back and actually closed up the first day, not that much, by 5%. But that's still not bad considering how bad everything had looked before that. So that's that's end of day one. But then we come in to work after day two and discovered the stock has suddenly gone up 70% in its second day, which is just unheard of. Uh, you know, it's it's a lot for a stock to go up 2 or 3% in a day. And just for a stock to have gone up 70% is, like I say, it's unheard of. And in, in most, unless there's like huge news, like a company, you know, discovers uh, gold or, or, you know, vice versa, if uh, their main product gets declared illegal or something like that, sure, then maybe you'll see that kind of change. There was clearly some sort of change in sentiment. My personal feeling is there may have been a little bit of manipulation going on there too, but we don't know right now. So, so that story talks about how the number of people actually trading the NEO stock is actually quite small and how that invites scrutiny, uh, that it's, you know, it doesn't necessarily prove manipulation, but there are suspicions because you know, it's such a small number of traders. Right. When you've got such a small number of people buying all the stock, it's easy for them to say, hey, let me sell you, you know, a million shares at this inflated price. And then in exchange, I'll buy, you know, the same amount of shares from you back at the same inflated price. And, and you know, voila, 
the the stock price suddenly jumps by fifty percent, and and these two companies have basically just done nothing. They've just exchanged their shares, and and nobody's lost any money or gained any money. So there is there is some room for manipulation in there, and I'm I'm sure the uh, the U.S. Uh, securities regulator is probably going to be looking into maybe if there was any manipulation that was going on there. I'm sure that would make Elon Musk very happy. <laughs> uh, what about Meituan? Uh, what's going on with that stock? You know, Meituan, of course, is a household name in China. Uh, but tell us how the IPO is shaping up. Well, the Meituan story is is also a bit upbeat. The, this is a company that's losing lots of money. Uh, they're really big in three areas. One is group buying and sort of restaurant ratings, which are their their oldest areas. And then they have um, takeout delivery, which is highly competitive in China. And then the last one is shared bikes, which is also very competitive and losing lots of money. So this is a company that's losing lots of money and investors, especially re- recently, just aren't that into money-losing companies. Neo is a good example. They're losing lots of money. Uh, but they just announced the pricing of this IPO. And, and again, it surprised me and I think a lot of other people that this IPO actually priced near the top of the range. They, you know, they always set a range that they want to try to hit for the stock price. And this one priced near the top, which means you know there was probably pretty strong demand. But again, there were some big names in the market, so there could have been some manipulation going on. But that you know it's still positive, certainly that they had priced towards the top of its range, and you know it'll end up being a pretty big IPO. The, the amount they should be able to raise will be around four point two billion dollars. So, what is it then that has investors thinking that Maytown might be such a good bet? Well, my personal feeling is that this company could be a good bet maybe in a couple of years just because hopefully they'll find a way to make money in some of these areas. Because right now they're in a couple of very competitive areas, but usually the competition you know, goes down after a few years. So if they can weather the storm, they, they really do have the potential to be like a major force in China's internet economy. They're in, in a few really sort of hot areas. They definitely have a good market position. They just need to be able to weather the storm and hope that the competition will either drop out or go down or something. But yeah, I think this, this could be a good play in like maybe two or three years. Thanks, Doug. Okay, thanks, Kaiser. And that's this week's show. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SubChina and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Tanner Brown with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Lee Xin with Caixin Global and to Spring at Autumn and Ufei for the music. Check out the latest podcast on the Seneca Network, New Voices on Women and China, as well as our flagship current affairs show, Seneca. And be sure to follow the news from China every day at SubChina. Sign up for a free email newsletter at subchina.com. Take care.